Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. So, uh, what I've been talking on last week and then again today is pleasing a pleased God. Pleasing a pleased God. And so a quick recap, if you weren't here last week or if you suffer from a short-term memory loss and you heard it and you forgot, quick recap for you for last week. So last week we talked about pleasing a pleased God, that God is pleased by nature. That's his nature because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. He looks at us, his creation made in his image, and he is pleased. But because he's pleased by nature, that doesn't mean that he's pleased with our actions by default. And if you're wondering how eating chicken comes into it, you can listen to the podcast. And so what we talked about that as we kick off our new year and we like to make our resolutions and things like that, that it's really important that we center our goals around the things that are actually significant to God, not the things that we just think are significant to us. And that we position our lives to go after the things that actually matter to God because the Bible says that we will all stand before God on the great and terrible day of judgment. Great for those that are in Christ because He places all the judgment of our sins on Jesus so we don't get judged on our sins but we get judged on what we did with the gift of righteousness that God gave us. And that the motivation for us to live a lifestyle that is pleasing to God isn't from the sense of, I've got to try and score brownie points with God because He's madly in love with you already. But it comes from the sense of, God, you gave everything to me. And living out of this revelation that you, you, didn't, you gave your one and only Son, like you held nothing back. Living from this revelation of gratitude, I can't but help but want to do things that give you more pleasure. And so that's the the foundation of our motivation that we live from. So that's what we talked around last week. And so what I want to do this week is look practically, what do some of those things look like? If you're like me, you go, well, Jared, that's great, but just give me a target to aim for. Like, I want to know practically in my life, What would that look like? What would look different if I was living from that space? What are the signs that would show me I'm on track to be doing things that are giving a please God pleasure? One of the things that I want to look around as we look at those things today is how to practically what that looks like, but then how to make that a regular part of our lifestyle so that it's not a one-hit wonder. I mean, I, I... most people start their year and they go, I'm going to lose weight. And they go, woo! And they eat healthy for a day. And then like they eat healthy for half the next day. And then the third day they're like, eh, whatever, I'll just eat and be happy and be fat. It feels so good in the moment, you know? And, and this is it's our, our nature. It's we go, I'm going to try really, really hard to do really, really good things. And if you want to be in religion, then that'll be great for you. If you just want religion, then just try really, really hard to do really good things all of the time. But if you want to have a relationship with God that is life-giving to you, then it can't just be about what you're doing. But like James talks about, faith without works is dead. If your faith is working in you, then there should be work. But we don't want it to be, this is the dichotomy of the Bible, Faith without works is dead, but Paul says you really shouldn't be working. You should be striving to enter your rest. You should be doing things from a place of rest. Oh my gosh, God, you can be so confusing. Just make it simple. So how do we do the things that God wants, but it not feel like work? 
Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to sleep, that doesn't feel like work to me. It is just amazing because it's naturally what my body wants to do at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I kind of crawl into bed and I just fall straight to sleep. It's, it's how I do life because it's natural. So if you want to do things that please God and you want it to become a regular part of your lifestyle, then it has to be something that comes naturally to you. It can't be something you just go, I'm going to try really hard to achieve these 10 things and every day I'm going to make myself do them because I won't have any life around it. So for something to be natural, it has to come from what you believe. What you believe impacts what you think, and then what you think impacts what you tell yourself, and what you tell yourself impacts what you do. So to live a lifestyle that is sustainable, we need to go right back to our foundational beliefs and continue to renew them. And God's really, really clever. So he goes, I'm pleased with you, I love you, but if you want to give me pleasure, then that's great. I've got some added motivations for you. Your main motivation, yes, is gratitude, but I know you're, you're my children, and just like any children, sometimes they need added incentives along the way. I don't know about if you've got kids. I wanted my kids to tidy their rooms the other day, but I didn't want to have to do what Rowanna does and supervise it. I was like, no, I can think of a clever way of parenting so I can parent from the couch and read my book or whatever it is that I wanted to do. So I got a box of Maltesers, the wee chocolates, and I said to the kids, every time you put away 20 things, you get one Malteser. And there's a limit of 10 Maltesers that you're allowed to have, so you can put away a maximum of 200 things. Ruby, who's my five-year-old, she's nobody's fault. And so she just went, that's stupid, and went to bed. Like that's her default, our thing, if kids go, I'm too tired to clean, I'm too tired, then they have to go to bed. Because if you're too tired to clean, you're too tired to be around me, go to bed. So she just takes herself off to bed and she'll just go to sleep. She's like gifted, she'll sleep anytime, anywhere to get out of anything. Takes after me, not her mum. But Judah and Jasmine, they're like, oh man, I put away 200 different items. Man, like if I take socks apart, they're two items right there, you know. And so they, they work hard to work the system. And God's like that with us. He likes to give us incentives. He goes, I'll tell you what. Yes, you want to please me because you've got so much gratitude. But I want you to have sustainable momentum along the way to help encourage your gratitude. So he goes, I'm going to give you a long-term incentive. Long-term incentive that you will enter into a very great, rich, eternal reward. Well, it says you do these things and you store up riches for yourself in heaven where thieves can't steal them and moths can't destroy them. In the 90s when I was a kid, uh, people used to say this, that if you live righteously for God, you store up treasures for your house, for yourself, and you get a great big mansion when you go to heaven. Do you guys remember this, this, this thinking? And then if you don't do anything, you just live for yourself, you go to heaven, but you have a little shack somewhere in the corner. And I was like, oh, it makes logical sense until you start looking that heaven's paved with gold. And I'm pretty sure that God's not going to lower his housing standards by having like a, a tin shed over in the corner for Jared because he didn't give enough in life to God. So I don't know. I have no idea. This is my theory. This is my theory. Billy Graham will have a flying unicorn. I will have a chihuahua. Who knows how God will reward things, but it'll be good, guaranteed. 
She goes, you got, you got eternal things to look forward to. Barty goes, oh, I know. I know the way, like instant gratification, postmodern society in a Western culture based around consumerism. You want a little bit of right now. So he goes, I'll tell you what, you live life for me. You seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I'm going to take care of all your needs. And God's pretty clever. He doesn't just go, I'm just going to make sure you've got bread on the table. I'm going to take care of your emotional needs. I'm going to take care of your spiritual needs. If you follow the principles of heaven, you're going to live a good, blessed life. And that might look like Paul. He goes, man, I've learned to be content in all things. I'm content, well-fed and clothed like a king. And I've been content, hungry, naked in prison. But there's something incredible that God has deposited in me that no one can take from me. And I have this deep, inner sense of peace that surpasses understanding and a love that I've got by experiencing that no one can take from me. I'm living my life from God and I'm receiving the benefits here and now and in the life to come. In India, they, they tried something similar. My brother was telling me the other day. Um, there was a part of India, and they had too many snakes. So they said, oh, I, know. Well, I know what we'll do. We'll tell all the locals to kill snakes and bring them to us. David Attenborough would have a fit. Um, because, and everybody that brings us a dead snake will give $1. And so the government's really happy. All these dead snakes keep coming. And this is a true story. All these dead snakes coming in. True story that I haven't fact-checked. Um, disclaimer that my brother told me, but it's a good story, okay? So they keep getting all the, and he's, he's a dollar for you, he's a dollar for you, and they've got all these dead snakes, and I do a great accent, but it's 2020, and I'll offend somebody, so I just won't. Um, I don't have an Indian wife, I'm not Adam White, I can't get away with it. Um, but after a while, this, more snakes just keep coming, and they're like, how many snakes were in the jungle? This makes no sense. So they start to investigate, and the locals have realized going into the jungle is a lot of effort and there's other things in the jungle that want to kill you so they started catching snakes they started their own snake farms were breeding the snakes killing the offspring and then taking them to the, the government and getting their dollar and so the government went government went no you're cheating and they went well we can't be bothered so they closed down their snake farms released all the snakes and there were more snakes at the end than there were to start with they make a lot of curry. <laughs> Snake curry. It'll get you. Add it spice. When I was in India, I was in India. I didn't have time for the segue. But I was in India at a snake farm, and they had these pits with cobras in them. And, and they just had like a wee bit of a wall like this and a pit, and you could lean in, and you could reach in if you wanted to. But they just had these warning signs. Do not lean over pit. If you fall in, the snakes will bite you and that might make our snakes sick. And then they had other signs around the, around the zoo advising you to wear shin pads because that's where snakes like to bite you the most. And I was like, wow, we're not in Kansas anymore. So God is pleased by nature that we can give God pleasure and we get rewarded for doing things that please God in this lifetime and the lifetime to come. And so there's added bonuses in addition to living from a lifestyle of gratitude. So I hear what you're saying. You want to know, what are some of the things that give God pleasure? Let me tell you just a few. Be reconciled to one another. 
Bible says if you want to go, give God a great praise offering. If you remember that you've got an offense for somebody or someone's hurt with you, go reconcile it. Make peace. It gives God pleasure. We'll get this one out of the way really quickly. Be perfect. Well, thank you, Matthew 5, verse 48. Be wise as serpents. Get farmed in India. Be harmless as doves. Be ready for Christ's coming. Be content with your wages. Get baptized and be converted. Maybe change the order in that, but up to you. Be transformed. Be filled with brotherly love to one another. Be passionate and fervent in your spirit. Be patient in tribulation. Be hospitable to people. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Be always abounding in God's work. Do good to those who hate you. Do to others what you'd have them do for you. Do good in general. Do this. Put God first and live for Him. Do everything you do for God's glory. It's just a few things if you wanted to get some goals up for your year. Give freely. Give with good measure. Give as God has prospered you. Give willingly. Give with purpose. Give cheerfully. Lay aside all wickedness, all malice, all guile, all hypocrisies, all envies, and all evil speaking. Keep yourself pure. That's a good one to check on the, uh, on the goal list for the year. Maybe just a few more, just in case you want a couple more targets. Keep the gospel commandments until Christ comes. I'm not even entirely sure what they all are. Keep the good entrusted to you. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself in God's love. Have faith. Have no fellowship with darkness. Have no bias of any people. Have honest conversation. Have compassion. Have a good conscience. And have a passionate love for God. Heal the sick, preach the gospel, raise the dead, cast out demons, cure lepers, disciple nations, be faithful in suffering, serve one another, be obedient in all things, be holy as he is holy. Just a few. And literally, this is just a few, because like, who wants some chocolates right now? Oh, you get you this first hand up in general. There was no trick to that. You just get some chocolate. It pleases me to give things. But this one's for a bit of a competition. Okay, in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament alone, how many instructions do you think there are for what we should believe or the actions that should come out of our life that give God pleasure? How many instructions? Just, just hazard a few guess. Raise your hand and have a guess. How many instructions are there for our beliefs and our actions in the New Testament alone? One? No. <laughs> yes? 187. Oh my gosh, you're wrong. Okay, next. And way down in the back. Way down in the back. Two? No, no. Mitchell, don't cheat if you already know. You don't get to say things. Only encouragement from you. Um, I've got well, welts on my back from this guy. Yeah. No, you can't. You've already had a guess. This side of the room. This side of the room. Yes. 23. Let's, get, let's up it a little bit. Up it a little bit. I'm going to give this to the closest guess. Yes. 200. No. No. Who, what did you say? Oh, I'll give it to you. You're very close. 1,050 instructions in the New Testament for our thinking, our beliefs, and our actions, which can actually get broken down a little bit further under 800 themes. Please don't spoil the point of my message, Lisa.
and we'll eat it in bed. Okay, so needless to say, with 1,050 instructions in the New Testament alone, in the New Testament alone, for your thinking, your beliefs, and your actions, depending upon your optimistic or negative nature, you either have got 1,050 opportunities to hit a home run or 1,050 opportunities to make a continual mess of things. It's impossible. It's impossible to fulfill 1,050 instructions that can get broken down into 800 themes. But, thank you, you're entirely helpful. About three a day. But here's, here's the kicker with God. All things are possible in Christ Jesus. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't actually expect us to do. So if there's 1,050 ways of living that give God pleasure, he actually has the expectation that we would live out daily 1,050 different types of examples flowing through us as the representations of who he is, ambassadors of who God is, and what heaven looks like on this planet. So, we need grace. We, we, we need God's grace to be able to do this. Grace is the empowerment for living our Christian life. Because we can't do this in our own strength. When you try to do things in your own strength to please God, that is like, that is just a great highway to religion. But when you're being empowered by grace to go after the things that God has put on your heart and calling you to, that's an exciting adventure. And grace empowers you to do things that you could never normally do. So how do you, how do you access grace? I think there's a couple ways of actually accessing the grace that God has got for you. Because I, I think one of the things that God is really attracted to is attracted to momentum. And some people go, well, you know, you could just be like, well, it's, it's not possible to do it without God's grace, so I'll just wait for grace to empower me, and then I'll do it. And then 10 years later, you're just still waiting there. It's like, wow, I'm just waiting for the grace. Well, God's got, well, I've got grace for you to step into. So as you move, my grace will move around you. And as you begin to go, God, what are you calling me into? God, what are the things in my lifestyle that you're wanting to challenge? And begin to step into those things, then grace has something to work with. And for us to, to have a lifestyle that is us doing things with God by nature and we begin to change our beliefs, there's a few ways that you actually change your beliefs. One of them is you actually start modeling the behavior that you want your beliefs to carry. You actually can start with behavior modification. It's not wrong to start with modifying aspects of your behavior whilst adjusting your beliefs. I believe that gives God great pleasure when we go, you know what? This doesn't feel natural for me at the moment, but I'm going to step into this and going to start to do things that feel foreign, that I know that gives God pleasure, and I'm going to trust that grace is going to start to come around me and is going to begin to have this feeling more natural and become easier. And then as I'm doing this, I'm going to do the deeper work of having my beliefs renewed and my beliefs transformed so the next time I'm in a conversation and conflict comes up where in the past I would have erupted and lost my temper, I actually just display love to this person. I walk away and I'm surprised by myself of what actually came out of my mouth and what didn't because my beliefs have started changing. 
Oh, thank you. See, this is, this is all part of us maturing as Christians. And maturity as a Christian isn't connected to how long you've been a Christian. And I, I, I don't know if you've ever had somebody come up to you who's in a trade or something like that, and they say, look, mate, just listen to me. And they're doing something similar to what you do. I've been doing this for 40 years. And you think to yourself in that moment, I wonder if you've been doing it wrong for 40 years. Because my instant filter right now is, don't do the advice that you're about to receive because I've looked at the craftsmanship of your life. So being a Christian for an extended period of time isn't the recipe for maturity. It definitely can be very helpful. It's not even directly linked to how well you heal sick people or lead people to Jesus. That's not a great scale to assess your maturity. Our maturity in Christ is actually linked to how obedient we are to God on a daily basis. Do we choose our own life and our own lifestyle or do we pick up our cross and follow Christ? And we can make it really complicated or we can just break it down to the simplicity of each day when I wake up, I make the conscious decision that I'm going to live for Christ and I'm going to follow His ways. Now, one of the beliefs that I think are fundamental that we actually need to change to be able to have our actions flowing naturally from us is who we're living our life for. And there's a very subtle difference between, I believe, a Christian that their instinctive response is that they're living life for themselves and then God Versus someone who goes, I'm living my life for God and for others. And this is something that I want to challenge us with. And really, we each need God to continue to reveal this to us because we all have elements of this in different lanes. I know that I certainly have my feet in both camps, but I want to transition out of one and more into the other. When I am in a period of life where at a deep level, my thinking is, how can I look after myself and my family? And at the basis of my thinking is, how do I look after and provide for myself and my family well? That baseline of thinking flavors of a lot of my actions in a subtle way to be self-centered. And what it actually stems from, it stems from a broken belief. It stems from the belief that the provision and growth of my family is firstly my responsibility. And so I have to carry this responsibility and make sure that I am providing well. And that thought filters through my actions and continually to deviate them back inwards on myself and my family. But if I can take that belief and I can submit it to the litmus test of the Word of God, I see the fractures in my thinking and I can take a new truth that Jehovah Jireh is my provider. And so the safety, the covering, the calling, the protection and the provision of my family is first 
his responsibility. And that frees up my thinking to go, I can pursue in a greater measure the things of God. Because my emotional energy that was preoccupied by provision and need is now repurposed with seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to me. And so taking our beliefs and going, God, what do you want to speak to me on can have a drastic degree shift in the actions, which given a period of time can totally alter, totally alter your destiny. So with 1,050 instructions for our thoughts and actions, I want to camp around two verses as we bring this to a close. This is in Matthew. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they got together and one of them said, who was an expert of the law, asked Jesus a question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, you can guarantee that if I just pause for a moment, then I'll stop having that slight list in my list. If the Old Testament and all of its instructions can get fulfilled by the simplicity of loving God with all of you are, and then loving others as you love yourself, and you can guarantee that the Christ who ushered in the New Testament, those 1,050 instructions get fulfilled simplicity, so easily, through loving God with all that you are, and loving people as you love yourself. But to do that on a consistent basis is quite challenging. I don't know for you, but I find it for me very challenging. And I continually need grace to do this. So how do we access the fullness of grace? You get, I believe, part of it by just action, and that causes blessing to come around you. The 1 John chapter 4 verse 17 says this, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Remember, I said we all stand before God in judgment. He goes, man, what did you do with the gift of righteousness that I gave you? What did you do? So John's saying, I, I know you'll stand before God in judgment. And so I know that in this lifetime, you want to walk with confidence about that. Because God's pleased with you. So you don't need to walk with a sense of fear. Because that will bring about a poor motivation that will rob you. So he goes, don't worry about being fearful. He even goes on in this. He says, in this world... We are like Jesus. Do you know that you're like Jesus in this world? What he's saying is that you are the representation of heaven. The world doesn't get really to see Jesus. They get to see you. So you have to be Christ-like. Because you're the Christ in you is the hope of the world. If he doesn't shine through you, he doesn't get to shine. He says, there is no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what's he saying in this? If you want to have confidence that you lived your life well for God, and that when you stand in the day of judgment, if you want to be walking in confidence now that when you see God, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into your great rich reward. Be like Christ. Because how do I be like Christ? He says, you love God because what? Because he first loved you. So everything and all that we do in Christianity boils down to the simplicity of love God with all that you are and love people as you love yourself. And to do that, you need to continually experience the love of God because it is the love of God that causes you to be able to love because He is love. The more time I hang out with Glenn, the more Glenn and I would become like one another. Rowena and I have changed dramatically since we got married because we spend so much time with each other. Who you hang out with just rubs off on you. And so if you want your thinking to get changed, if you want your beliefs to change so your thinking changes, so that your actions change, spend time with the one that you want to be like the most. Of all the goals that you can set for 2020 that will give you confidence in this lifetime, that will give rewards in this lifetime, that will heap rewards up in the lifetime to come, that will give an avenue for the gratitude that you carry to live a life that honors a God that gave you everything. Of all the goals that you could make to please a God who's already pleased, it's been time with them. It's so simple. Like the gospel's not hard. Get into your Bible. Just read the Word of God. Just worship Him. I, I, I loved worship this morning. I loved the vulnerability. And it felt authentic. I, I loved it. But just start seeking after God. He richly rewards the hearts of those who earnestly seek Him. This is what I want to finish with this morning. As you spend time with God this year, His nature will change yours. Spending time with Him will change your heart, your beliefs, and your actions. His love will heal you, transform you, empower you, encourage you, inspire you, challenge you, renew you, correct you, commend you, command you, free you, uplift you, fill you, reward you, satisfy you, and overflow out of you. If I can encourage us as a church to do anything this year, it would be just to set aside time with God. His love will cause you to love Him. Loving Him will cause you to love others. And you will find yourself, without even thinking about it, doing 1,050 things that give a please God pleasure. The Bible is super simple. It's all about relationship. Relationship hinges on quality time, honesty, and vulnerability have quality time that is honest and vulnerable and you will lead a transformed life that overflows with love and transforms the world around you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media 